And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. And uh, in studio right now is Rudy Yockham. Rudy Yockham is the Republican candidate running for the Congressional 2nd District. Of course, this is the district that was vacated with the tragedy of Jack Wilarski. Rudy, how are you, man? I'm well, Casey. Thanks for having me. It's good to be on your show today. Now, full disclosure, Rudy and I have known each other for a very long time. So this that is have. this is not going to be an uncomfortable interview. We've known each other quite a bit. But I did tell you, like, the first thing I have to ask, very first thing is, there's a debate. There's no Rudy Yakum at the debate. A lot of my audience is like, why isn't Rudy at the debate? What's going on? Why didn't you show up? Well, thanks for the question, Casey. You know, first of all, it's an honor to be chosen to represent the people of the 2nd District uh, as a Republican nominee going into November 8th. And given the unique circumstances, after I won on uh, won that caucus on uh, August 20th, and one of the first things we did is we tried to figure out what is the best and most efficient, efficient way to communicate with voters, but also to hear from voters. So our focus has been traveling the district. We've been to every county, I think, at least twice now. Uh, we were in LaPorte County on Saturday, did a farming tour over there. Uh, we were down in uh, Cass County on, on Saturday night, and just this afternoon was at the Rotary Club over in Elkhart. So we've been hearing directly from voters, uh, and that's been uh, a really good and efficient uh, way to do that. We've also received a lot of invitations. Right after I won, uh, we had invitations to, to speak or debate and appear at you know, kind of every event you can ever imagine. So our team's been processing through those and figuring out the best and most efficient way to communicate with voters. Now, and it's interesting that you, because you did D.C. for like 26 hours, because you haven't been in D.C. You've been here. You've been all over the state. That's right. And if you follow Rudy online, you'll you'll see like they're constantly somewhere in Indiana and then... It was like this begrudgingly, you and I were at an event, you were giving a little bit of a speech there, I had a, a thing to do after that, and you were like, we have to go to D.C. Like, <laughs> I have to, but the quickest turnaround we get was like 26 hours, I think you said it was, That's and right. then you got out of Dodge, you have to go back here soon, but but you know, just so people know, you've been running around the state and campaigning in the state, you haven't been like gone in Washington, D.C., that's right. You know, my team asked me after I won the caucus how much time I wanted to spend here in the 2nd District versus uh, in D.C. And what we chose, uh, Casey, is to spend as much time as practical on the ground here in the 2nd District. You always have to be conscious of the position you hold when you're an elected office holder. And as a member of the U.S. House of Representatives, we will represent the people of the 2nd District. And part of my belief, Casey, is that you can't represent people that you don't know. And you can't know people unless you really spend time with them. So as I've been traveling the 2nd Congressional District, uh, really all the counties in the district here uh, over the course of the last uh, six to eight weeks, it's just hearing from people, understanding what's on their minds. And, and we've been hearing things loud and clear. I mean, it's things like inflation, things like safety and security, crime, the border, um, energy independence. Those are some really big issues that, that we've been hearing that I intend to focus on uh, when I'm elected and representing the people of this district. Well, let's just start with the border. And the only reason I'm doing that is you were in D.C. a week or two after I was there. And I was there for several days for the annual Hold Their Feet to the Fire conference put on by Fair U.S. And, of course, that's all about immigration. We're talking to, you know, the best immigration experts in the country, policymakers, people with the Border Patrol. And, of course, a lot of people live on the border. So you get to hear the stories that people in the Midwest don't typically run into. And you get a better picture. It's one of the reasons that I do it. I'm from an area where that's a big problem. A lot of people here aren't real familiar with it. So they get to hear it firsthand from people who are. And it's not just Casey saying something. What is it that you're really hearing from the people of the 2nd District when it comes to the border? And what do they want you to do when you get to D.C.? And then what are your plans? Sure. Well, let's start with this. If you don't have a border, you don't have a country. 
And if you don't have a border, every state and every community is a border community. One of the things I heard from one of the mayors uh, of, of a small city inside the district is on a Saturday morning, they had nine overdoses of fentanyl alone on a Saturday morning. And those are drugs that are coming across the border. We also have a broken immigration system, but in order to fix the broken immigration system, step one is you have to secure the border. A good country controls who comes into that country, and people have to come here legally. We've had two million people pour across that border just in the last year alone. And just to wrap our minds around that, Casey, that's, you know, we've only got, let's say, 350 million people in the country. Nearly one out of 100 people uh, that are in the country today came across the border illegally in the last year, and that has to stop. And there's about 850,000 to 1 million gotaways, too. That's right. In the past year. Those are ones who actually got through and then got away from law enforcement. So they're just, they're off in the wind somewhere. We don't know where they're at. Right. Now, fentanyl is, is a big one. And honestly, I think that a lot of people are probably not getting the big picture on the fentanyl thing. And I read an article a couple of days ago, Rudy, that said there's a new drug worse than fentanyl. They're saying it's multiple times more potent than fentanyl is and that it's starting to make its way over here, too. Uh, And I guess the general theory, don't have all the evidence yet, but I guess the general theory is that it's even cheaper to manufacture than fentanyl. It's more addictive than fentanyl, of course, more potent. Um, So the profits go a lot further for the cartels and those who manufacture them. And this is all stuff that comes across the southern border. And I know that many years ago, Indiana tried to tell you that it was your cold medicine at the drugstore, but it never was the cold medicine at the drugstore. It was always coming across the southern border, and it still is, and that problem's not been fixed. That's right. And what we're hearing loud and clear from people in the district, just in the overall element of security, it starts with securing the border. But, Casey, it also runs through you know dry, dry drugs and crime locally, making sure that we as a federal government are backing up the police locally and making sure that you know, we back the blue. Um, but it also goes national with our, our military, maintaining a strong military presence uh, here, not only domestically, but also internationally, and supporting our veterans, too. You know, that's something that uh, Jackie, who was a dear friend of mine, I know she was a friend of yours as well, and um, you know, the circumstances around uh, her death are just uh, so tragic and unfortunate. But Jackie was a big backer of, uh, of veterans, and you'll find me to be the same. Now, jobs. Um, there's, there's no recession, apparently, air quote. There's no recession. Uh, new jobs numbers came out. They're not great. I mean, to be honest, they're not great. The last jobs number where they tried to take credit, um, there was a massive drop in full-time employment, but there's an increase in part-time employment. Uh, new surveys show that 70% of Americans now are seeking a second job just to get additional income. I'm one of them. Present I'm just included. telling you about it. I'm yeah. one of them. Um, and I don't, I don't make bad money here, but I'm still one of them, right? So what in the world could possibly be done here? And how do we stop? Because it, it's... It's basically a roller coaster right now, but the track isn't finished, and we're about ready to careen right off of this thing. Well, part of the reason people are looking for a second job case, I mean, people who are making good money are looking for second jobs because their dollars aren't going as far as they used to. When we hear from people here in the district, we hear loud and clear that inflation is running. We all see it, and it impacts every single person. So your dollar is not going as far as it used to, and so you're being forced, many people are being forced to look for that second job. If you're a senior citizen, your costs are going up faster than you can possibly raise your income. If you're on Social Security or a combination of that, plus maybe a pension fund, a little retirement account, you don't have the ability to just go out and raise your money. Oh, by the way, the stock market has uh, taken a significant hit this year, and your costs at the grocery store and at the gas pump are going up. And so, um, we have to get inflation under control. We know what's caused it. It's bad policy coming out of Washington, D.C., 
This is not at all the fault of anyone in the 2nd Congressional District. This is the fault of fundamentally bad policy in Washington, D.C. We're spending a few trillion dollars per year in our federal budget more than we're taking in in income. And these massive deficits that we're racking up, you know, Casey, just this week, the, uh, there was a news article about the federal debt has now crossed $31 yep. trillion. You can't have $31 trillion of national debt adding a few trillion per year and not expect to have inflation. And then folks like you have to go and find a second job because you can't have the same standard of living that you've had for quite some time in this country. Yeah, and I get really concerned about that stuff because our population is declining. Boomers are, are going to get to that stage where they're not with us anymore, and then you're still going to have to sustain that with a smaller population. You have to pay those bills. Um, gas prices are a big part of it. A lot of people during the pandemic were able to stay afloat by taking food delivery and that sort of thing. That's not an option for a lot of folks anymore because of the price of gasoline. You've got Biden, who has dramatically restricted you know, oil production in the United States. Private sector in Montana and Texas in particular are kind of making up that gap. But now, you know, you got OPEC saying, yeah, we're not going to do it. And you've literally got Biden last week going, yeah, we might uh, we might go ahead and take some of the sanctions off of Venezuela and prop that regime up by getting gas. We don't need to. It's all right here. We have more oil than anywhere else in the world. It's right here. It's mind blowing, isn't it, Casey? I mean, we can't forget that when President Biden took office, that one of the first things he did, like the first day, the the first first day, day, was cut off the Keystone Pipeline. We sent, as as the United States, sent a loud and clear message to international markets that we will allow foreign governments to dictate our oil prices to us. So when we go to the pump. We're paying a price today that is back near $5 a gallon. This is coming on the heels of the announcement that we saw last week from Saudi Arabia, where they're looking to cut up to 2 million barrels of oil per day in production. They have a spigot that they can turn on and they can turn off. The problem is, here domestically, we have proven over the course of the last few years that we are unwilling to turn our spigot on. And when we don't do that, and as you said, as we're looking to lean on countries like Venezuela, I mean, what, what world are we living in here, Casey? Well, Come tell on. me about it. it I asked people a lot, Rudy. I was like, do you remember during the Trump administration, there was the big Russia-Saudi Arabia oil war and how it affected oil and gas prices? And people go, no, I don't. I'm like, right. Because we just ramped up production domestically so it didn't affect us. It was really that easy. The entire world was dealing with energy price issues and we were basically inoculated from it. Like There was like a 20 or 30 cent swing with something like that. But now we've got the strategic oil reserve, which is dangerously low, which, of course, the Democrats wouldn't let Trump refill at record low prices. Now they want to refill at record high prices. Um, but Which only the, drives the price up further. Correct. Right. Exactly. But then they're releasing the oil. Dangerously low now. And after the election, after the conveniently, Rudy, after the election, naturally, they're going to not release it anymore. And we just had uh, we had uh, somebody who is in senior management at a gas station call us up the other day and go, I think that the estimates of gas going up to five fifty on average is low. I'm expecting six dollars or more. So well, here's what we know for sure, Casey. The laws of supply and demand in our energy markets hold true. And this was proven over the uh, years prior to uh, President Biden taking office. As you said, you know, we turned the spigot for production on. 
we were willing to produce domestically and send strong signals to the marketplace that uh, the United States of America's oil fields are open for business. And when you're willing to produce domestically, you isolate yourself from the whims of other people internationally. Right now, we, we have uh, the you know OPEC and Saudi Arabia, the, their belief, Casey, is that $84 a, a barrel, which is where the oil was when they made the announcement last week, we're now at like $91 or $92 last time I checked, $84 a barrel at that time isn't enough. They didn't think that $4.50 per, per gallon of gas, which is where it was last week here when they made that decision, uh, isn't enough for us to pay. And so we cannot be subject to their whims. The United States of America is the greatest country in the history of the world, ever. And one of those reasons is because we have always controlled our own destiny. When we give up control of our destiny over our energy markets, we give a piece of us away, and we can no longer do that. We have to re-domesticate production and allow us to have control over our future in oil and in energy. Yeah, if you don't believe Rudy on that, ask Germany. You can hang out for another segment, right? Yeah, I'll hang All out right. with you. I got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. Rudy Yockham, running for Indiana's 2nd Congressional District as a Republican, is joining us right now. Rudy, thank you for coming into the studio. Appreciate that. All right, so we were just talking about oil. Um, we can we can do any of these topics, I think, probably for three hours, just the two of us. But let's hit crime. Uh, crime's a big problem. Um, you know, FBI data again coming out, showing that there's an increase, you know, after decades and decades of decreasing criminal activity, Suddenly, the anti-police, defund the police, um, prosecutors who don't keep people behind bars, they all kind of hit at one time. And shockingly, air quote, shockingly, suddenly there's a big surge in crime. There's just a guy the other day, might have been Illinois, don't quote me on that, um, who was wanted for murder, was detained, and they let him go and he killed somebody else. Unbelievable. It keeps happening over and over again. And sometimes they're kids getting caught in the crossfire here because a lot of these people are gang members and, you know, know, gangland shootings and things like that. You know, how do we reverse this trend? Because there's still an awful lot. I know that Biden himself has kind of changed his mind on this and is trying to gaslight everybody about defunding the police. But how do we get to a point in Washington, D.C. with some of the people on the other side of the aisle that you'll be, you know, working with if you're there and they're still full on defund the police? How do we get that resolved here? Well, it starts with us at the local level deciding how, how are we going to raise our kids? How are we going to support our police here? How are we going to raise you know kids that grow up and um, and have respect for law enforcement, respect for each other? You know, Casey, in, in my house, uh, when when one of my kids would see a, a, a police officer, whether it's walking down the street or sitting there having a cup of coffee, they walk up to him and they say, thank you for your service. Like, that's just what we do. And I think we have to have a country that, that gets back to a place where we have a, a healthy respect for law enforcement where it's a partnership between law enforcement and the community, and it has to be a partnership. If it's not, the system breaks down and falls apart. I also think at the national level, we have to change the rhetoric on the national level. And look, are there bad actors on occasion that we have to you know, look at, examine, and go after? Of course, everywhere. But at the same time, we've really got to back up our local law enforcement. You also have, Casey, at the, at the federal level, you know, there's a lot of crime that isn't prosecuted at the federal level because, you know, we might think it's it's too small or it doesn't matter. And one, of the, there's been a lot of changes in how we prosecute crime at the federal level. Um, and, and I'm not sure that it's been healthy, and I don't think it's led to a safer society. Hunter Biden comes to mind. <clears throat> well, whether, I mean, whether just it's that it, or it, you know, any 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 local it out crime, but yes. yeah, yeah, just just throwing <laughs> just throwing it out there. Just a, just a, I'm, I don't have, hold much hope with this uh, this attorney, um, but. 
you, know, you got the criminal element of it, obviously. You've got the defund the police element of it. But how do you get to a point where the nation itself, and I know that I'm asking you a very, very big question, and it's not one that I don't think any single person can answer, but you get to a point where we're back to America's great, patriotism's great, honoring our heroes of sporting events is great instead of protesting them, and that's what you're doing, people. You're protesting them. Um, and, and acknowledging that, generally speaking, people in uniform are there to do good and to help you. That's right. There are people who are bad actors within that, as there are with any other profession, who need to be dealt with. And frankly, the police, for a long time, many departments, not all departments, but many departments didn't deal with them. They covered it up, that whole thin blue line thing. And I think that's that the whole policing culture is paying for that right now. But now they've kind of overcorrected, where officers who haven't done anything wrong are still getting punished by the department even after they've been cleared. Uh, the case of the Border Patrol agents and the whipping scandal with the Haitian migrants and everything else, even the photographer that night said, no, they didn't whip anybody, they hit anybody. Still, the Biden administration a year later is still investigating, even after, they, after they've been cleared. So we get to a point now where it's just become a political thing for many people on the left to just attack anybody in service. Can we recover from that? Or is this something that just is a generational thing that maybe we'll get back to, you know, loving America in the future? Or are we just forever kind of split now? Well, Casey, I'll never believe that America is a, is a lost cause. I, I believe that there is hope for our country. And I'll give you a couple of thoughts here. One is, as it relates to law enforcement from the federal level, what we know for sure is that law enforcement that has better training, the better equipped they are, the better uh, job they do of policing our communities. And so supporting them through training, I think that's one way that at the federal level that we can be effective. But the other thing and I mentioned it earlier, how we raise our children matters. How we get back to a culture of personal responsibility and accountability matters. We often think that when we have a problem or an issue, we blame society. Or when someone makes a bad decision, we, may, we blame society. We have to get back to a place where we as individuals take responsibility for our own actions and we don't pawn our own bad decisions off on society. That, I think, is one of the first steps that we as a nation have to take is just get back to a a culture of personal accountability and responsibility. Now, I see two things that kind of cause that. I see a broken educational system that is concerned with pushing ideology, not academics. And I see social media backing them up. And Section 230 is in, in the debate right now. And it's weird that there's kind of like bipartisan support on reforming Section 230, although different reasons behind that. Um, I think some of the rhetoric coming from the Biden administration right now is that they realize that they're in trouble and they don't want to be censored. And Fascinating, they don't, isn't it? Right. It's weird. It's, I keep telling people, like, you're not going to be in power forever. The shoe's going to be on the other foot at some point in time. So how do we how do we really with you know critical race theory and um, you know teachers constantly with rainbow flags in their classrooms and you know constantly being secretly recorded projecting gender ideology on kindergartners and stuff like that how do we fix that stuff from from DC I mean obviously it has to happen locally but from DC how what can be done there well let's start with uh, education then we'll get into to section two thirty and some of the big tech stuff on education. We're in a place in this country where, where we have to get back to a place where, where schools teach how to think critically, not what to think critically. And that's there's a big difference between the two. And so we, we can't be just indoctrinating kids and teaching them what to think. We have to teach them 
how to think and how to process information. You know, look, I'm a big believer in school choice. I mean, educational choice shouldn't be just for the rich. It shouldn't be just because you can afford to send your kid to a school of your choice uh, that you get to. And so I think that that plays a component of it. But then on big tech, Casey, you know, one of the problems is we have big tech that isn't afraid to censor conservatives. And they're not, it's been proven over and over again, particularly in the last two to three years, it's really amped up big where, um, you know, you say something online, I mean, you've experienced it, you say mm-hmm. something or, or, um, or, or you get maybe a, 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 an area of some level of controversy um, and all of a sudden your page is taken down or censored or disappeared. I'm stunned even on my own Facebook uh, page where I would see things that friends would post and there's a, you know, a wall behind it on, on maybe even Facebook where it just says, uh, you know, this content is deemed to be, you know, less than whatever. And you have to click on it to actually reveal the, 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 the picture or the content you click on. It's like, what, what's, what exactly is being censored here? I don't right. see the problem. And so, um, so we know that conservatives are, are censored online. We see it all over the place. And I think big tech has to be held to account. You know, Section 230, I think, is an issue. I think we need to open it up and start, you know, actually taking a look at uh, what it takes to hold big, ten, big tech to account. I'm a free speech guy. You know, the, the, the First Amendment holds, and it should hold um, on your social media platform as well. Yeah, well, we'll get into the PayPal scandal, the latest one. I've been telling people PayPal's the devil for a long time. Y'all should have listened to me. We'll get into the PayPal scandal here in just a little bit. So, Rudy Yakum, how can people learn more about you support the campaign? Go to my website, RudyForIndiana.com. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook at Rudy for Indiana. Would love to have you not only like the page, but also find ways that you can uh, get involved uh, on the website and, and contribute, donate, all that stuff. You'll find it at RudyForIndiana.com. And again, Rudy Yakum is the Republican nominee for the second congressional district here in Indiana. Best of luck on the campaign, man. Thank appreciate you. The time. And I uh, would appreciate your support and vote on November 8th. Thank you, Thank Casey. you much. We got more coming up. MNC News time is 432. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that last a lifetime.